The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Sierra. And I'm Ashley. And this is your Weekly Weekly Dose of Wicked. you cool cats and kittens out there why do you gotta be like carol baskin i've never even watched tiger king i don't know why i said that i know (laughs) (laughs) whatever what up what's good with you on this wednesday hump day (laughs) say hello to the people ashley hello people thank you all so much for joining us oh let's see we don't have a lot going on this week um our contest ended so we need to pick a winner for that, and we're going to do that live on the podcast. It's not going to be live because you guys aren't going to hear it for like five hours, but it's live for us. So what the beautiful Ashley did is she went ahead and put everyone who entered in a long little list, and then we just randomly numbered each person, and then we're going to put the entries into a random number generator, and we're going to pick a number whenever you're ready. Okay. Do you want me to drum roll for the number? Yes, drum roll, please. Number 19. Number 19. And I'm going to butcher this name. Number 19 is Sam Pecoraro. Sam Pecoraro. I'm sure I said that wrong. Uh, You liked us on Facebook and Insta, I think. Yes, both. Both Facebook and Insta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll shoot you a message and we're going to get your address and we're going to send you a lovely piece of Weekly Dose of Wicked merchandise. From our Etsy shop. Woo! Congratulations, Sam! Yeah. All right. Moving right along from that. We have no new Patreon members this week. Wah, wah, wah. Sad day. Maybe we will next week. If you guys aren't in the Patreon, you should have one over there. We're having a great time. Lots of parties going on. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. We're just hanging out all day. All day. How do they get in the Patreon, Ashley? Well, they go to patreon.com forward slash weekly dose of wicked. They sure do. Where you can sign up for one of our three wonderful tiers. We have the Awesomely Wicked, the Moderately Wicked, and the Extraordinarily Wicked. For as low as $5 a month, you can become part of our fancy, fancy, fancy pepperoni patronis. A great way to support our podcast and donate directly to the podcasting fund. Uh, How else can you support our podcast? You may be asking yourself at this moment. Well, you could head on over to Facebook. Give us a follow. You could head on over to Instagram. Give us a follow there. You could head on over to Apple Music, where you could give us a rating and a review. We're up to 25 ratings now, and I think 12 reviews. So just keep them rolling on in. All right? All right. You actually got Apple Pod, not Apple Music. Oh, I've messed up. You can head on over to Apple Podcast. You knew what I meant, though. They knew what I meant. We're tired. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. Because we're slackers. <laughs> Always. Every week. That's it. They can give us reviews. They can follow us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They can go to the Patreon. Um, if you guys have a case you want to hear, there's two ways you can make that happen. 
you can submit a request on our link tree, which is available on our Instagram. I should probably add that to Facebook too. But I made a fun little Google Doc where you can request cases. Um, you can also guarantee that we cover the case you want by joining the $10 level of the Patreon. We're the first 10 members of the Extraordinarily Wicked tier get to pick a case. All right. Any other fun news this week? I don't think so. We can actually officially move, so we're done with that bull squash for now. <laughs> Until we do it again. Until we do it again in a few months. Um, I had my weekend away of no children. It was lovely. We don't really have much else going on in our lives. Pretty boring. Yeah, we're pretty boring people. All right, whatever. Let's get to what you guys actually came here for. This week's case, as promised. This week's episode is a pepperoni patroni request from the fabulous Melissa Greenwald. Melissa Greenwald requested this case uh, almost a whole month ago. But again, we're slackers. Well, we are slackers, but we also wanted to give it the attention that it deserved. Um... So, as pretty much all of you should know by now, uh, I literally just said it, but the first 10 people to sign up for the ex- Extraordinarily Wicked tier of our Patreon have the honor of requesting a case. Any case, the damn well, please. And we'll cover it for them. So, Melissa, this one's for you. Hope you love it. I hope so. I gotta tell you, Melissa, I don't know if we can be friends after this. That bad? It's a pretty rough case. Um, okay, so Melissa told us, I'm just joking, we'll always be friends. It was just a joke, Melissa. Um, Melissa told us about this case. Uh, she said that it took place like a half an hour from where she lives. So it took place in Ohio. (sighs) So this week's trash bag of a person is Matthew Hoffman, ladies and gentlemen. So when Melissa requested this case, you remember you and I were like, oh, who the heck is Matthew Hoffman? I don't know who the heck that is. Right. Uh, so once I actually started looking into the case, I know exactly who Matthew Hoffman is. Matthew Hoffman is a horrendous man. Um, Matthew Hoffman is the leaf killer. Do you know who the leaf killer is? No, I don't think so. Okay, well then, do I have a tale for you? Do I have a, a nice little treat for you? I don't think it's going to be a treat. By treat, I mean vile. Ew. All right, so here we go. I hope you love this, Melissa. I hope this is all that you dreamed of and more. Uh, okay, so first of all, he's a freaking weirdo in the worst possible way. I just want to preface with that statement. Freaking weirdo in a bad way, not a good way. <laughs> Matthew Hoffman was born in 1980 to Robert and Patricia Hoffman. He was a quiet kid, and he never really showed any signs of violence or any reason why anyone would think that he was dangerous. He was just really strange. Uh, He also had this really weird obsession with trees and leaves, hence why he's known as the leaf killer. Makes sense. It's going to get stranger later on. So he doesn't really have too big of a rap sheet. Uh, He was arrested in 2001 for first-degree arson, burglary, and theft, and he was sentenced to eight years in prison for those crimes. Um, again, though, nothing violent. He was just, you know, like a little hoodlum causing problems. So, after this time in prison, it's when Matthew's obsession with trees and leaves got really, really, really just bothersome. In prison? After prison, when he got oh, out okay. of prison. Okay, sorry, sorry. I don't know if it was all of the time away from the leaves and trees that really triggered this or what, but this is when it really became an issue. Well, that's what I was thinking. He doesn't have access to leaves and trees in prison, so... No, it was after his eight years in prison. Okay. I'm on board. So, his neighbors claimed that he would trap and kill squirrels. He would then grill them and eat them. Yummy. So, I listened to a bunch of different podcasts um, about Matthew Hoffman over, like, the past four weeks. Like, I've 
probably listen. I think I've listened to every podcast on Matthew Hoffman that's available on Apple Podcast. Um, I've also watched multiple shows, read a lot of articles. Most of the podcasts that I listened to, though, had a really big issue with him cooking and eating squirrels. Like, they were really, really disgusted by this. <sighs> Sterling might kill us, but Sterling hunts squirrels and eats them. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's, like, super weird. To me, it didn't really strike me as weird at all. Like, Sterling's literally, Sterling is our brother. He's been on some, well, he's been on a page. Oh, hey, Sterling. There he is. <laughs> well, there he is. You guys can't see him, but he just popped his head in. He can't even we hear just, us. I'm talking about you. What? Talking about you eating squirrels. Oh, all the time. They're delicious. Did you guys hear that? They're delicious. Yeah. So all of these other podcasts, though, they were really, really grossed out. What did he say? He said, I can't wait for the first frost so I can devour me one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have that in here. Okay. So Sterling 100% hunts and eats squirrels. Um, he's done it since he was like, what, eight? Yeah. Super little. Yeah. I mean, he's really little. He has a BB gun that he would shoot them with when he was really little. Um, and our mom grills them for him. And he says they're delicious. Uh, I had my next, my next little note here was that he knows what time of year it's safe to eat them, which is after the first frost. After that, I guess the first frost like kills their bacteria. Is that what it is? I don't know. I don't know. He knows. He knows you can't eat them until the first frost. Should um, I call Sterling back in? No, I don't want to know. I, I also think it's super gross to eat squirrels, but I didn't think it was that weird because Sterling does it and he swears they're delicious. Yeah, I mean, I think it's gross because, like, I mean, not necessarily gross, but, like, I personally would not kill and eat squirrels because that's a lot of work. I don't like to work for my food. It is a lot of work, and also, like, there's not a lot to them. But, like, even, Sterling's even fed them to Jacob, and Jacob says they're good, too. And Jacob's my husband, so I, maybe it's just because we're, like, back road hicks. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, like, in the South, it's pretty normal. Like, maybe in Ohio, it's not. But I feel like in the South, it's definitely normal to eat squirrels. Yeah, I would agree. But I just thought, I, to me, it didn't really strike me as that weird. They were like, he was so weird, he was hunting squirrels and eating them. And I was like, oh. Yeah, I mean, I personally think it's gross, but, like, I don't think it's weird. Yeah, I don't me know. neither. Okay. Um, and maybe also, though, like, I mean, it's mom's fault he does it, because the rule's always been, if he kills something, he has to eat it, so. So she's going to turn him into Dahmer. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny, actually. No, it's not, but it kind of Highly, was. highly inappropriate. Okay, let me pause, though. I know that this is not a case about Dahmer, but let me tell you something. So today at work, my coworker was like, hey, Ashley, have you watched Dahmer yet? And I was like, oh, no, I haven't got around to it yet. I've been busy, haven't had a chance, whatever. I really want to, what, I'm talking about it. And he's like, okay, but you're familiar with Dahmer, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, of course, I know who Dahmer is. And he's like, okay, let me tell you a hilarious joke. I was like, okay, dude, go ahead. So he says... Um, Dahmer gets executed and the whole prison celebrates. They have a feast of Dahmer nose pizza. I mean, yeah, that's pretty funny, I suppose, but highly inappropriate. It is very inappropriate, but I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> okay, anyways, doesn't matter. Anyways, doesn't matter. Away from Dahmer. Um, regardless, whatever, mom always told him if he killed something, he had to eat it. So it's her fault to eat squirrels, whatever. If that's super weird for you guys and then we lose listeners, I'm sorry. I mean, we're not the one that eats squirrels. Our brother is. I mean, I know, but I don't know. Some people are weird about that kind of stuff. Okay. So the neighbors, super bothered by the fact that he was, like, hanging out, trapping and killing squirrels. He was grilling them. He was eating them. They were also really bothered by the fact that he, apparently he would climb the trees in his backyard. You're sure you don't know anything about this guy? Like, you haven't heard this at all? No. Dude, he's so freaking weird. Okay. <laughs> he would climb the trees in his backyard. 
he would then sit in the trees for hours and he would just like watch everyone in the neighborhood from these little perches up in his trees. That's weird. Yeah. Why? Like just did people watch? Because he was weird. I don't know. He was just weird. He just really liked trees. He really liked hanging out with them. Um, Fair enough, I guess. So sometime between his release from prison in 2009 and the things that he did to become the leaf killer in 2010, uh, Matthew got a job working as a professional tree trimmer. Oh, so he's, he manifested his love of trees into a career. He pretty much was just like living his best life. He was killing mean- squirrels in the yard, eating squirrels, hanging out in his trees, you know, in his free time. During his paid time, he was hanging out in trees. Like, pretty much, he just was getting all the tree action he could get. Sounds like it. Yeah. So, anyway, that's all I got on Matthew. I think that pretty much sets the stage for where the rest of this goes. So, fast forward now to November 10th of 2010. Knox County Sheriff's Department in Mount Vernon, Ohio, receives a call from Valerie Haythorn. And Valerie is the general manager of a Dairy Queen. And she's calling because she's concerned about one of her employees who did not show up for her 4 p.m. shift. Uh, the employee's name was Tina Herman, and Valerie's concerned because Tina and her boyfriend are in the process of breaking up. And she says Tina's boyfriend, he's just a real jerk. Like, he blows things out of proportion. Tina lived with him, and she was in the process of, like, moving out of his house. So she's just worried about her safety. And it's not like Tina did not show up for work. So she just wants for them to go do a welfare check on Tina, as well as Tina's children, because Tina is a 32-year-old single mother to 13-year-old Sarah Maynard and 11-year-old Cody Maynard. (sighs) So I'm not exactly sure when Valerie called. Uh, It was sometime between 4 and 7.30 p.m. uh, because the Knox County Sheriff's Department does actually send a deputy out for a welfare check, and he arrives at the home at around 7.25. He knocks on the door. There's no response. He didn't think that anything looked like it was out of the ordinary. So he went back on patrol and left the residence. Okay. I don't, I don't like that. He didn't talk to her? Nope. Nobody came to the door. He thought everything looked good, so he left. I don't like that. I don't think that was a very good... No, I'm not a fan. Okay. Yeah, I don't like but that anyway, either. That's what he did. He went back on patrol, left the residence. Uh, the following morning, which is now Thursday, November 11th, 2010, there is another call, this time from Ron Metcalf. Ron says that his girlfriend, Stephanie Sprang, age 41, is missing. He says that Stephanie had plans on Wednesday afternoon to go with her best friend, Tina Herman, to go look for um, a new place of residence, such as maybe an apartment. They're going to go house hunting because Tina and her boyfriend were breaking up. And Hmm. she needed to find somewhere else to live. So. This isn't looking good. No. Ron hasn't heard from Tina since then. Uh, she didn't come home, so he is concerned because they were supposed to be going in the afternoon, remember? So, like, Tina had to work at 4 o'clock, so they are supposed to be going to do house hunting, like, during the day, during the afternoon. It's now the right. next day, and he hasn't heard from Stephanie. Uh, with this information, the police are a little more concerned because, you know, they had that welfare check the night before for Tina, and now Stephanie's missing, and she was last seen with Tina. So the yeah, police, Yeah, the police decide that the first thing they need to do is check on Tina's kids. Surely they'll know, you know, what's going on. So they call the kids' school. And unfortunately, the kids are absent from school that day. The bus driver does confirm, though, that she dropped them off at their house the day before. So the last time the children were seen was leaving the bus the day before. 
Uh, yeah. So now we have two missing women and two missing children. That escalated quickly. It did. Now, this might just be me being super critical of the sheriff's department because I was not pleased with that welfare check. So it might just be me being, you know, biased against them because I'm already annoyed with them. But uh, one of the interviews that I watched, the sheriff's department said, like one of the detectives said, it wasn't long after they got in contact with the kid's school that they received another call. So Ron Metcalf called in the morning. They check on the kids. The kids aren't at school. So that time frame to me, even being like super lenient on this time frame, he said he called in the morning. So let's say he called 10 or 11 o'clock. That's morning, right. you know. They call the kids school. The kids aren't at school. Let's say it took an hour. Let's say it took two hours for them to get in contact with the kids school to find out they weren't there. By that point, we're still looking at what? I mean, like one, two o'clock? I mean, should be earlier than that, but okay. It should be, but I'm saying let's just be super lenient on them. Let's just give them that time. Okay. So let's just say two o'clock. All right. Sounds good. We have that information. Let's just say we have that information by two o'clock. By two o'clock, I mean, really by like three o'clock, they're probably out of school. Right. So like, let's just say it took them until the end of the school day to figure that out. Um, so shortly after receiving this information, they get another call. This call is from Valerie Haythorn again. The boss. Yeah, the boss of the Dairy So Valerie, being the badass that she is, has taken it upon herself to go check on Tina because she was displeased with the welfare check the day before. She okay. calls the sheriff's department at 4.15 p.m. Okay. So by this point, they've received notice from Ron that Stephanie's missing. They know Tina's missing. They know both of her kids are missing. They still have not went back to check her house, and it's 4.15 p.m. Two days after? Or the next no, it's day? the next day. It's the next day after. So... A whole 24 hours. Yeah. She should have been at work 4 o'clock the, the day before. So, yeah, it's 4.15 now. They still have yet to go check. But, like, at this point, they know that two women and two children are missing. Right. Like, that's and a they, lot. Oops. They didn't do another welfare check. So, at 4.15 p.m., not long after they realized that all of these people were missing, to me, I feel like it had been hours. Right. Or that's not not long at all. Right. So, anyway, I mean, like I said, my concern there, I put here, like, my concern is, why haven't the police been back to Tina's house? Even giving them the benefit of the doubt. If Ron called 10, 11 a.m., that's still morning. That's hours in between that phone call and somebody going to her house. And it wasn't even a police officer that went. It was Valerie. Right. It was her friend. Right. So anyway, Valerie's at Tina's house. She calls the police department and she's like, oh, hey, I'm at Tina's. I called for a welfare check yesterday. And they're like, yeah, yeah. She's like, yeah, I'm at her house right now and there's blood everywhere. So now the sheriff's department is, you know, concerned. So now they respond immediately. Now they go to her house. Okay, so, like, did Valerie go into her house, or yeah. could she see the blood from outside? Uh, I would say she went in the house. Okay. The way that the crime scene photos looked to me, she had to went in the house, because all of the curtains were closed, and, like, the blinds from the crime scene photos, so to me, she had to have entered the home. Okay. It's a ballsy woman. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. Extremely ballsy. Good for And her. she's like, there's blood everywhere. Like, she has no idea what's going on in that house. She's just walking around the bloody house. <laughs> like, for all she knows... Somebody could be hiding in the closet. Like she, but she's like, yeah, yeah, no, I went in the house. There's blood everywhere. Right. Okay. So based on the crime scene photos, Valerie was right. There is blood everywhere. There's heavy saturation of blood just inside the doorway on the carpet, in Tina's bedroom, and in Sarah's bedroom. There's also blood spatter in all three of these areas as well. There's also three distinct drag marks Ew. in the carpet where bodies were clearly drug. I don't like that. Yeah, I don't like that either. Uh, the bathroom is by far the worst room in the house. Uh, the bathroom is 
covered in blood. I mean, everywhere. The bathtub, the floor, the sink, the toilet, the shower curtain has a good six inches where it looks like it was just like dipped in a bucket of blood. Ooh. So did he like kill someone in the bathtub? I don't know. Actually, we'll have to wait and get there. Okay. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So the line being as deep as it is, it looks to me and to the investigators as though it was like submerged in blood. Like there was blood in the bathtub, it was submerged in blood. Um, the three distinct, like heavily saturated blood areas lead the detectives to believe that there are three victims. And because of all of the blood in the bathroom and on the curtain, it also leads them to believe that the victims were then dismembered in the bathtub. Ooh. So that's why they were drugged. They were drugged to the bathtub where they were then dismembered. Hmm. So there's a problem, though. Because there's four missing people. Right. There's four missing people. There's only three signs of an attack. I mean, I would say at this point they know that those three people are dead for sure, though. There's a lot of blood. And the way that it's, like, saturated through the carpet, it's, like, in the carpet and in the carpet pad. So they they laid there bleeding for quite some time. Right. So they, they're pretty certain that those three are for sure dead. But there are four people missing. So now they need to figure out who is possibly still alive, really, is, like, their number one concern because somebody left the house alive, <laughs> more than likely. Uh, they also need to figure out who did this, why they did it. And also, where are the bodies? Because there's no bodies anywhere in the house. Right. It also becomes a very time-sensitive case because there's a very good chance that one of these four people is still alive. Well, maybe if you would have started 24 hours earlier. Um, I think that if they would have started 24 hours earlier, they wouldn't be missing the bodies. Probably not. But that's just me. It's none of my business. So they get to work pretty quickly. Um. They're able to determine that the person who was responsible for this crime was very comfortable in the home uh, based off of the amount of time that they had to have spent there. So that means it's either somebody that the family knew or it could have possibly been somebody who had been watching the family and therefore knew their routine. Another stalker. Maybe. Don't know. We'll have to find out. So while they're processing the crime scene, they, in that bathroom, like I said, like the, the rest house is pretty much carpet. The bathroom, though, has like linoleum. You can see like footprints on the bathroom. And while they're processing this, they realize that the footprints in the bathroom are two different shoes. They start looking at those shoes, trying to figure out if maybe this can lead them to like figure out who's still alive. Because obviously two people are through that bathroom. It would be the perpetrator and then whichever one of the victims is still alive. So as they're doing that, they actually see that like one of the shoe prints is like this wavy print on the bottom and it says airwalks. And it, they're also able to decide what size shoe it is. Um, and they're actually able to match that shoe to a shoe box in the home. There's actually a box of shoes, a box of airwalks in the closet, the same exact size that would match that shoe print. And it's in 13-year-old Sarah Maynard's closet. So this leads them to believe that Sarah is still alive. Well, good job there, cops. Yes. That was a well, win. Yes, it was a win. And they did discover that pretty quickly on. Um, they do think that because of the violence of the crime, that it was something personal. 
So now that they know that Sarah's alive, they are trying to figure out if she's being held captive by like some psychotic lunatic or if she's somehow involved in this heinous crime. That would be really scary for a 13-year-old. To do that? Yeah, to be involved in that. I mean, yeah, but it wouldn't be the first time we've heard of it. I mean, no, but it still just blows my mind every time. Like, they're just babies. Yeah, well, wouldn't be the first time. But that's what they got to decide. Did Sarah, like, set this up? Was it someone she knew? Or is she just legit a victim who's being held captive by, like, some lunatic somewhere? So anyway, from there, they're going through the crime scene. Um, To me, I think this crime scene is super eerie. In the kitchen. So, like, when you first walk in the house, it's, like, living room, kitchen, setup, whatever. Like, kind of, like, all one big room, right? Right. So, in the kitchen, like, next to the cabinet on the ground is just a pile of grocery bags full of groceries. You know, like, when you bring your groceries in and you, like, have a whole bunch on your arm, you just kind of drop them there. Right. So, that's on the floor in the kitchen. A whole, just a whole bunch of groceries that were never put away. Hmm. Inside of the groceries, there's a receipt. And their seat is for a little afternoon on Wednesday. So this makes the investigators believe that Tina went grocery shopping while the kids were at school. When she got home, she was interrupted while putting the groceries away because they never got put away. Right. Uh, Another thing that I just found to be kind of eerie and creepy. um, When you look at the front of the house, the the investigators said there was no signs of forced entry. Like when you're looking at the house, the garage door in the front, looking at the house that's on the right, it's like... A jar, you can see it's off track, and it's open on the bottom right side. Like it's, so you're putting your hand like diagonal, so it's like messed up like diagonally? Yeah, like it's a jar. Yeah, like it's messed up diagonally. So like the left side touches the ground, but the right side is a good, I mean, couple of inches off the ground. Okay. Like it's not properly on track, you know, like when you open your blind and you're like, Meh. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what the garage door looks like. So there's no other sign of forced entry. So the detectives are like, mm, I mean, if somebody came in, they most likely came in through that garage door. Right. Because it's not properly on track. Uh, another thing they notice is that Tina's car is gone. Her Ford F-150 is missing. So the first thing they do is they put out, I was going to say an Amber Alert, but it's not right. They put out an alert on Tina's car since it's gone. More than likely it's being driven somewhere. Uh, they also check the garage now that they see that door's ajar to see if there's, like, anything in the garage. In the garage, they find, a uh, like, a Walmart bag on the floor, and inside of the Walmart bag is trash bags and tarps. Kind of a weird <laughs> thing for a single mom of two kids to have. It could be your boyfriend's, but they figure, more than likely, the perpetrator left them. Right. So pretty quickly, they actually find Tina's truck, and it's actually only seven miles away from the crime scene. Not far at all? Nope. Um, they think like, okay, sweet. We found it quickly. We're going to get DNA and fingerprints off it. But unfortunately they don't actually get anything off the truck. So, I mean, pretty much they have everything they can get from the crime scene and it's really not much to go off of. Um, first thing they're going to do obviously is call in Tina's boyfriend because it's always the spouse. Always. So they call in Tina's boyfriend. His name is Greg Borders. Uh, he comes in for questioning on Friday. So by now it's Friday at 5 30 PM. So it's now been 48 hours. Since that first welfare check was called in. So, not great. Uh, He says he left for work on Wednesday morning around 3.40 a.m. He says he spent the whole day at work. After work, he had made plans to go hang out with his friends and to stay the night at his friend's house. And then on Thursday, they were going to get up and they were going to go golfing. So, he says he left Wednesday, 3.40 a.m., never came back until late Thursday. And by that point, they'd already discovered that everyone in the house was gone. So, obviously, he didn't go home. Um, so they do check his alibi. He worked at a Target distribution center. 
Uh, they go to his place of work and his supervisor's like, yeah, we actually have really great security. There's no way he left. Like you can check, but like he was here. I've got surveillance footage of him. He didn't clock out. He didn't leave. Like there's no way for him to get in and out of the building without swiping a badge. There's no way that he could have left and come back during those hours that the, that the crime had to have taken place. Because by this point, they figure it had to have been between noon and four. Right. So they rule him out pretty quickly. They're like, yeah, his alibi is rock solid. He didn't kill these people. So they rule him out, and they actually don't really have any other suspects. There's not really anyone else in any of their lives that they think are really good for this crime at all. So now they start thinking maybe it was a stranger, which is just kind of weird, because like the attack was so gruesome, it really looked like it was going to be a personal attack. Right. So they really start to focus heavily on that Walmart bag in the garage that had the tarps and the you know trash bags in it. So they're actually able to work with the Mount Vernon Walmart. And they are able to find a transaction that matches the items in the bag. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And they were purchased on Thursday, very early morning. So like just after midnight. So it would have been, you know, about eight hours after the crime would have taken place. I mean, the end of the crime, whatever. After that four o'clock time. Okay. So with that info, they're actually able to pull security footage. And now they have an actual solid suspect. So through the security footage, they watch this guy shopping through Walmart, and he very calmly enters the store, goes to each aisle that he needs to go to, um, and like he does it very smoothly. Like he knows the store very well, almost like he's shopped there before. So then they're like, hmm, I think this guy's probably local, right? since he knew exactly where everything was that he needed. Uh, as he's on his way to the checkout, he grabs himself a turkey sandwich. He also gets some two liters of soda. And then he also peruses the clearance rack and buys himself a shirt for a dollar. That's exactly what I would do. Yeah. So the, just the way that he like is so calm, cool, and collective is terrifying to me. Yeah. Very. And to pretty much all of the people, I mean, like all of the professionals say the same thing. They're like, yeah, this is definitely signs of a sociopath. He just murdered multiple people violently. And then he just goes and peruses Walmart. I mean, if he is the one that murdered people violently, then he's already a sociopath. Well, no, for sure. But like this screams like sociopath for days. Just really weird. Yeah. I mean, at this point, they're like pretty certain that this dude just brutally murdered two women and an 11 year old little boy. And then he's just casually shopping Walmart. Yeah. No. Looking, looking for supplies to dispose of the bodies. And then he's like, oh, hold up. I'm hungry. Let me grab a turkey sandwich. Yeah. Okay. You suck, dude. Yeah. He's a real trash bag. So anyway, they're able to watch the footage. They see him like leave the store. And when he leaves the store, he gets into a silver Toyota Yaris in the parking lot. They are hoping to get a tag, like a license plate off of it. Uh, But it just, they, they don't get the right angle. They don't get one. So instead what they do is they just start to look for like Toyota Yaris is registered in within the County. Because like I said, they're like, well, this guy's got to be local. He knew exactly where everything was. He shopped at this Walmart before. Right. So they start looking for the Toyota Yaris's in the county. And there's actually quite a few of them. But they start clicking through. And on the first page at the bottom, they come across Matthew Hoffman, who is a registered owner of a silver Toyota Yaris. And wouldn't you know, but his license plate picture actually looks just like the guy from Walmart. Wouldn't you know. And even crazier, the shirt he's wearing in his license picture is actually the exact same shirt he's wearing at Walmart. Oh, wow. Very unfortunate coincidence for Matthew. Yeah. I mean, it's a good coincidence. Not for him, though. Well, he probably shouldn't have been a douchebag. So now that they have Matthew, Matthew, I was going to say Matthew Yaris. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's not his name. No. Now that they have Matthew Hoffman as a suspect, they pull up his address. And wouldn't you know, he lives just four-tenths of a mile from the crime scene. Ooh, that's close. So right around the corner. <sighs> so now that they have this big lead, um, they have to work really fast. Because they have no reason to believe that Sarah's no longer alive. They have to get a search warrant, obviously, because, you know, laws. You can't just go kicking indoors for without warrants. No, that's frowned upon. Yeah, so they have to get a search warrant. So they do that. And by this point, it's now Monday, November 15th. So we're now on day five. Well, I mean, five days is, I feel like, pretty good for having a pretty solid suspect. I mean, I would agree, but I just don't think it's looking great for Sarah because that's oh, a long time not. to keep someone alive. No, not good for Sarah at all. Mm-mm. They show up at Matthew's house. They kick down his door because they have a warrant now. Uh, they're pretty quickly, they come across Matthew within the home. There's a weapon within reach, so they go ahead and apprehend him and get him out of the house. They then begin searching the house for Sarah. Um, and this is where... He's just such a freaking geese ball. The whole house is just full of leaves. Inside his house. Yes, inside of his house. So there's like okay. piles of leaves in the rooms, like in the living room. There's like piles of leaves. There's grocery bags full of leaves tied up into nice little packages and like stacked across the wall like bricks. Hmm. There's just freaking leaves everywhere. Like it's just, I don't know. I don't understand the leaves. Are they like fresh leaves or like Yeah, he collected leaves? them over the past few days. Huh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Just a whole bunch of leaves. He really, really, really loves leaves. Okay. Well, everyone's got their kinks. Yeah, well, there's like piles of leaves. And so the officers are thinking like maybe he was piling the leaves to hide the bodies of his victims. So they start like poking them and they're like, hello, if there's anyone in here, please move around. But nobody moves. It's just piles of leaves. There's really no point for the leaves. He just wants friends. I don't know. It's just weird. Um... So anyway, they search the whole upstairs of the house. They find nothing. So then they go ahead and they make their way into the basement. Some sources said basement. Some sources said crawl space. The pictures of evidence, there were stairs. So, I mean, I think it was probably more of a basement, but it doesn't really matter. Either way, under the house, they go under the house. And again, leaves, just leaves everywhere. There's like leaves down the stairs into the basement. I don't know. I just, there's a lot of leaves. (sighs) So finally, in the basement, they come across, there's like this hole cut out in the wall. And in that hole, there's a bed of leaves made. And lying on the bed of leaves is Sarah. Oh, is she alive? She's tied up. She's exhausted, but she is still alive. Oh, good. So here's this poor 13-year-old little baby tied up in a basement on a bed of freaking leaves. I mean, not good. Bad. But. I mean, good that she's still alive, but creepy. Yeah, creepy that she's lying on a bed of leaves. Very, very creepy. So now they have Sarah alive. They have Matthew in custody, obviously. They need to find the other three victims because they still don't have any bodies. They still have no idea where these bodies are. Hmm. So Sarah is able to actually, like, tell what happened, her version of what happened. Obviously, she wasn't there the entire time, though. So she's not sure, you know, of, like, what happened prior to getting there. Uh, She essentially says, like, she got home from school. Her and her brother got off the bus. They came in the house. She shut the door behind her. She bent down to take her shoes off. And when she did that, she saw the blood on the floor. So then she started to call for her mom. She doesn't get an answer. And then Matthew Hoffman appears with a knife. And she ran to her bedroom. Uh, She then heard Cody's cries for help. Um, Cody was murdered in the living room. And she then said that Matthew came to her bedroom where he put the knife to her chest. It was covered in blood. He then tied her up. And that's really the end of what she said. She says he threw her in a car, drove her down the road a little bit, 
Uh, finally, the car stopped. He drug her down the stairs. He pushed her down the stairs, whatever, like forcefully took her down into that basement crawl space. He then threw her on this bed of leaves he had made where he then left her. Um, he did sexually assault her multiple times over the next few days while he held, held her captive. Um, she said, honestly, she was just so glad to be free that prior to that, she just kept thinking, like, is today the day I'm going to die? Oh, that's Which horrible. Terrifying. She was 13 years old. Yeah. So police start to, um, you know, try and question Matthew Hoffman, but he really just wants no part in this. Um, they have a couple of days with him before he asks for an attorney. So they just try to get anything out of him that he can't, that they can, but he's just not giving up like where these bodies are. Does he admit to doing it or he just, he does not, he doesn't really want to answer any of their questions at all. Um, so essentially they're like, you know, when they searched his house, they did actually find like a big hunting, a, a hunting knife that very likely is what was used in the attacks. Um, they said like it definitely could have been used to dismember the bodies. They were they were quite certain that it was the um, weapon, the murder weapon. So they have that. I mean, they have Sarah in his basement. So like, it's not like he can deny it. Right. They have plenty to convict him. The issue is, is they want the bodies and he's not going to give it to them. So at that point they have to decide how they're going to like get him to come clean. So in Ohio, they do offer the death penalty. So that's kind of their bargaining chip is that they offer to him. They, they will take the death penalty off of the table if he will tell them where the bodies are. Does that work? Well, so depending on what article, what sources you read, some sources say that that was enough. That caused him shock. Other sources say that he had another demand, and that was that there was some wildlife involved, some trees involved, and they had to assure him that the trees would not be damaged in extracting the bodies. Okay. I don't know which one you want to believe. It's kind of like back and forth between what is true and what's not. Some sources just say, yeah, like telling them they wanted, they would take the death penalty away was enough. Others say that he demanded they not injure his precious trees. Okay. I can't say that I think it's, you know, unlikely that that is the case because he did have a big love for trees. Right. So essentially, whatever, they finally get him to talk. He gives them the full story. He does end up admitting pretty much everything. Uh, this is his version of what occurred. He says that a November 9th, he arrived at the home and he positioned himself in the woods across the street. He then climbed up in a tree and positioned a sleeping bag and he camped out there until the next morning. So super creepy. Yeah, just a little. Yeah, so apparently he ditched his car like a mile up the road, walked the rest of the way. Camped out in this tree overnight. He then waited until the kids went to school. um, And then Tina left. He then entered the house through that garage door. When Tina returned from the store, he was able to overpower her. He then drug her to her bedroom where he stabbed her several times with that hunting knife and killed her. Uh, He was not prepared, though, for Stephanie to show up. He did not know that that was going to happen because that was not their normal routine. So Stephanie actually arrived as he was killing Tina. And she just let herself in because it was her best friend's house. So she just came on in the house, discovered him killing Tina. She took off running. I don't really know why, but Stephanie ran into Sarah's bedroom. That doesn't really make sense to me. I'm not really sure why Stephanie wouldn't have tried to have like gotten out of the house. Yeah, maybe like her thought process was like that room was closest and she could jump out the window. Possibly. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, obviously Matthew Hoffman found her in Sarah's bedroom where he then stabbed her repetitively in the chest until she also died. After that... The family's dog started to uh, bark pretty crazily. So he then killed the dog. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he then drug them all to the bathtub where he dismembered them. As he was finishing uh, the cleanup of these first two murders, the kids arrived home from school. Um, he said that as soon as they walked through the door, he attacked Cody. So he um, stabbed Cody in the back of the head, killing him immediately. Uh, he then did stab him multiple times after he was dead. Why? Because he's a sociopath. He's just a little boy. He's a sociopath. I mean, there's absolutely no reason for any of this. Ugh, okay. Uh, he then chased Sarah into her room where he tied her up with a cord from her fan in her bedroom. <sighs> um, that's where the timeline kind of gets iffy, though, too, like from here. So he did that, whatever. He then had to dismember Cody. So it's said that he, like, dismembered um, Stephanie and Tina and put them into trash bags. But he never went and bought the trash bags until midnight. Right. So he didn't have those trash bags. So my thought process there is what he actually did. So it says he then, like, took, he actually took Stephanie's Jeep, threw Sarah in the Jeep with the dead bodies is what it said. But again, this timeline, I don't know. I don't know if that really makes sense to me, but this is what it says. He then threw Sarah in the Jeep with the dead bodies in trash bags, drove the Jeep to his car a mile up the road where he then transferred the bags to his car and, um put Sarah in his car. He then drove to his house where he put her in the basement and then he went and got rid of the bodies. But again, to me, like that doesn't make sense unless he just hung out in the house with Sarah for until, I mean, for hours. And he also didn't have the trash bags. Right. So at some point he would have had to leave Sarah mm-hmm. and go get the trash bags. Right. So just, there's just some contradiction in that. I feel like, cause some of it says like, that's what happened. Others say that he put the bodies in the Jeep and left Sarah like, at his house while he went and got rid of the bodies. I don't know. I mean, to me, that doesn't really make sense. To me, what I feel like had to have happened, and again, this is pure opinion based off of the evidence, I feel like he had to have killed them, taken Sarah, sure, maybe he took her in the Jeep, to his car, where he then took her back to his house. He then went to Walmart in his own car and got the trash bags. Right. He then went back to the house, got the bodies in the trash bags, loaded them up in the truck, probably, that he ditched seven miles down the road. Right. Or even put him in his car. Either way, like, he had to get rid of both of those vehicles. I don't know. Some of that, to me, is just kind of iffy of, like, how that even took place. Yeah. Regardless, had they done the welfare check at 7.25 p.m. that first night, the bodies would have still been in the house. Right. Because he never got the trash bags until midnight. Right. So if they would have actually done a good welfare check. Right. Hmm. Yeah. So anyway, whatever he said, like, that's what happened. Honestly, it doesn't really matter. Either way, he's a piece of trash. He said he then, you know, went home. He was tired. He took a nap in the basement with Sarah where he handcuffed her to himself or, like, tied her to his body so she couldn't escape. So that had to have been terrifying. Right? What a freak. Yeah. Freaking weirdo. So did he give any reasoning of why he killed this family? Uh, He said it was just a burglary gone wrong. Except he slept in the tree and watched them. Yeah. No, 100%. And was anything missing other than the vehicles that he ditched? No. So how was it a burglary? That's what he says. He says he just broke he broke in to burg to burglarize and it just turned bad. Even if that was the case though, like he could have left and not killed the kids. Like even if okay, maybe that maybe Tina, you know, okay, Tina left, he was gonna burglarize the house. Then he kills Tina. Oh no, Stephanie shows up, he kills Stephanie. He then could have left. Right. But instead he hung out there all day and waited for the kids. Right. So no, it was clearly for Sarah. I mean Sarah was his motive. Right. He had to have had some weird infatuation with Sarah. I mean, even though, like, with Sarah, like, he could have just kidnapped the kids. 
when they got off the bus. Yeah. Because Tina was supposed to be at work anyways. No, the team was supposed to be to work. She was supposed to be working at four. I mean, I would assume they got off of the bus at like three, three thirty. I mean, when Sarah got home, she called for her mom, so she was expecting her yeah. mom to be home. Okay, but no, I mean, he definitely he could have just taken Sarah. I mean, he literally could have just like driven by and grabbed Sarah, right? If that was his plan. Um. Yeah, I'm just I'm not understanding the. That's I guess I the know. issue though is this thought process doesn't make any sense. That's why he's a sociopath. Honestly, he's really just a he's just a piece of trash. Um. When he had Sarah, like, in his possession, he only fed her rotten food. Okay. Which, to me, I mean, like, I don't understand. Like, why feed her at all if you're going to feed her rotten food? Right. I don't know. He also uh, made her a diaper out of a trash bag that he taped to her body and did not allow her to go to the bathroom. What the fuck? Uh, Essentially, he was just fucked up. I mean, he clearly had some sort of mental illness. Yeah. I mean, obviously. I don't know. Uh, psychologists say that he had dendrophilia, which is sexual attraction to trees. Okay, so why didn't he go marry a tree and leave poor Sarah and her family alone? I don't know. I wish I had answers for you, but I really don't. Are you ready to know where the bodies are, though? Oh, yeah. I forgot. We still don't know that. Under a yeah. tree somewhere. His favorite tree. They're not under a tree. Okay. Um. So he does tell them like a general location of where they are. And he tells them that it's actually a tree that is, it's like a dead tree that's hollowed out. So he, I don't know how the hell he even did this. He like climbed the tree, like seven feet up and put the bodies inside of this hollowed out tree. He climbed the tree with the bodies. Apparently. Cause the investigator said it was seven feet in the air. So they not honor his wishes and cut that tree down. <laughs> Again, I don't really know that. Uh, it depends on who you listen to. Cause some of them are like, yeah, and they were like, screw him, and they cut the tree down. But then others don't really make any comment on the tree. Right. I just don't understand how they would have got the bodies out if they didn't cut the tree down. I mean, I would assume. They probably just cut it down, bulldozed it down. I don't know. Um, but yeah, they said they climbed up there, and they looked down, and they were able to see that there were trash bags down in this tree base. So he had, like, made this shrine to them in his favorite tree. What a weirdo. Yeah, he is freaking weird. Who has a favorite tree? Uh, Dendrophiliacs. I don't know. I don't like this dude. No, he's super weird. I don't like you for telling me this story. Well. Yeah, no, I've never heard of this weirdo. can't believe you've never heard of him. No. I can't believe I haven't either, because he sounds like I would have heard of him. He's a freak. Just, it had to have been mental illness. I mean, they do say, like, he's mentally ill. Like, there's just no, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Like, how terrifying, though. He camped out across the street in a tree. Do you know how terrifying that is to me? I live across the street from trees. Everyone lives across the street from trees. No, Ashley. Everyone does not live across the street from trees. You do not live across the street from trees. There's trees in the yard. Okay, but no, this, like, the house was very secluded. It very much reminded me of, like, where my house is. Like, Tina's house, her boyfriend's house, whatever that she lived in, and then Stephanie lived next door to her. And, like, other than that, there weren't other houses really around. And that's how he was able to do that, because across the street was just, like, a lot of trees. Yeah. And they were just, like, hanging out over there watching this family. Yeah, I don't like that. No, I don't like it at all. No. Mm-mm. Not a fan. Half a star. And the leaves are just super weird to me. Yeah, I don't get that at all. Don't get the leaves. Okay, so like, <laughs> I don't get the leaves either. It's just so weird. So just look at this bathroom so you can see just exactly how weird it is. One of the, uh, I don't know that it was an investigator. I think it was a psychiatrist, maybe. She had said possibly the leaves. Or he was using them as like a soundproofing. 
How would leaves be soundproofing? Because it would like muffle any of Sarah's like screams. Hmm. Like the noise? I guess. It's no different than like our podcasting mics. Like our podcasting mics pick up less background noise when there's soft stuff around you. Like the fuller the room is, the less background noise it picks up. Hmm. Oh yeah, that's weird. Right? Yeah, super weird. Mm -hmm. And I also have the same shelf that he has in his bathroom. Mm -hmm. Time to throw that away. Mm-hmm. Except mine's black, not brown, but it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He just I don't know. Super weird. Super weird, dude. And honestly, I feel like even after like researching, I have more questions than I do answers. Yeah. Like why? And we're probably never gonna know that, so mm, no, probably not. He's already given his confession. What is this random pile of leaves? Just like his house, one of the rooms in his house full of leaves. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah. You have any more information or just leaving me with lots of questions? I'm just going to leave you lots of questions. And I hope that that did um, justice for the victims and um, that Melissa got what she wanted out of that. Yeah, she probably knows the case better than you do. Probably. It's from her hometown. I would assume so. Should have invited her to do the podcast. Oh, we should have. That would have been fun. Alrighty, well, I think I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight, so thank you for that. Uh, I never told you his, uh, like, the outcome of his trial. Uh, well, hurry it up. Come on. I forgot. I'm sorry. I got distracted. Well, obviously, he pled guilty to multiple charges, and he was sentenced to life in prison without parole on June 6, 2011. So, <laughs> that's essentially it. At least he pled guilty. Mm-hmm. At least he is in jail forever. <laughs> this is true. Anyway, that's all I got, though. So, yeah. Okay, well, he's a creep. And thank you. Thank you for that. Yep. Thank you for giving me nightmares of leaves. Oh, no problem. It is that time of year. They're all falling off the trees. Time to go collect them and make myself soundproofing. Why? Maybe that's why Melissa wanted us to do it. Because maybe she was sick and tired of us hearing about how much we love fall. Yeah, maybe. She was, like, going to make those bitches hate it. She was like, oh, you like fall? Listen to this, you little bitches. <laughs> maybe. You're not going to like that fall now that all the leaves are falling. Make you think of the leaves, killer. Yeah, for sure. Definitely will. I'm just kidding. I don't think she'd ever do that. She seems super sweet. She also agreed with me that Starbucks was overpriced. It is overpriced. I never said it wasn't. Overrated. Doesn't mean it's not delicious. Mm-hmm. Whatever you say. All right. Well, well, I'll see you next week. Okay. I say Goodbye. that like I'm not going to see you in two days. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever. You'll also see me next week. We'll see the rest of you next week. Ashley and I will see each other for our annual date on Friday. Annual? Weekly. Weekly. Our weekly date on Friday. We're going to paint my bathroom. Yay. And go through your freezer. And take pictures of my wedding decor so I can sell it. Oh, true, true, true. That is true. Maybe we'll also unpack some boxes and see if we can find my purse. (laughs) Probably not. Uh, Yeah, I don't know about that. They're not even here for this. They probably already signed off. But for any of you that are still here and who care, uh, during our packing of Ashley's apartment, I lost my purse. And I think someone stole it out of my car. But everyone else thinks that I'm an idiot and I packed it in a box. I'm just saying, in the two years that I've lived there, I've never gotten anything stolen out of my car. Well, I'm very unlucky. That is true. So. Doesn't really matter. I've already replaced all of my cards. So I'm mostly just upset because it was the purse I just got for my birthday. And it has your favorite wallet in it. Yeah, it does have my favorite wallet. I just have to buy you a new one. Maybe for Christmas. It's fine. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. All right. Thanks, Melissa, for that case. It was lovely.
Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard and want to support a small podcast, please give us money at www.patreon.com forward slash weekly dose of wicked where you can join one of our three tiers at the five dollar level we've got the moderately wicked for seven dollars a month we've got the awesomely wicked and for all of those high rollers big ballers out there we got the ten dollar level the extraordinarily wicked as a member of our patreon you are entitled to bonus episodes Uh, You also get a one-time shout-out on our podcast, as well as some other cool little extra things going on there. So come on over. Join our fan club. Feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at weekly underscore dose underscore of underscore wicked, or you can literally just search weekly dose of wicked and we'll pop up because we're the only ones. For a direct feed of our podcast, please go to www.weeklydoseofwicked.buzzsprout.com Great news! You can now listen to us pretty much wherever you like to listen to podcasts. That's right, folks. We are big time. You can now hear your Weekly Dose of Wicked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Plus Alexa, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, Pocket Cast, Deezer, Listen Notes, Player FM, Podcast Index, Overcast, Castro, CastBox, and PodFriend. The only place we can't seem to get ourselves on is Pandora. So we'll let you know when that happens. In the meantime, make sure to come back next Wednesday for your Weekly Weekly Dose Dose of of Wicked. is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.